Namo atasa bhagavatu arahatu asama sambhutasa Namo atasa bhagavatu arahatu asama sambhutasa Namo atasa bhagavatu arahatu asama sambhutasa Purandamang sangam namasami so today we've been working with the theme of joy and uh, I thought to just reflect on different kinds of joy that uh, we open up to in the spiritual practice. So one of the things that I notice when I come on retreat is, uh, you know, particularly if I've been through a stressful time, that it takes a while to settle into the routine and the new environment and to just be able to just take simple pleasures in the beauty that's around the trees and the meadow and the sky, the lack of noise. And so, you know, initially what happens is, is, is that a combination of tiredness and stress and preoccupation is we don't see those things. And so when we come on retreat, then there's some settling in that takes place and some of the stress begins to be seen and to be dissipated and there's more uh, ability to be with the simple beauty of nature or the flavors of the food or the color and the freshness of the food or to see the horses and see the steam coming out of their breath and see the white snow against their dark coats, thick, thick winter coats, and just the pleasure of the sense contact. So one of the joys that comes from practice is the joy to be able to be present with the world and the sense contact that comes through sight and sound and taste and touch, and then the the feelings of uh, safety you know, being in a beautifully made place where there's a sense of being supported and cared for and being able to feel that and appreciate that comes with having some degree of soundness and calm. So one of the things that happens when we begin to settle into the practice is is, is that we get more pleasure from the sense world And that's something to make much of, not to diminish. You know, the colors become sharper and crisper. The tastes become more delicious, more clear. You know, the contact of the cloth against our skin is more noticeable. Just what it feels like to be in a warm room and to be able to relax, or to sit with the back against the fire and to feel the heat or just to take a shower and to have the warm water on the body. You know, just these very simple things have an added kind of joy in them. And there's something in that which is really important to take note of and to allow that joy to nourish. Another kind of joy is is, is that as the intensity of what we've come out of begins to settle, and our minds begin to be present more with what is, we can then cultivate qualities like loving-kindness and compassion. 
So the Brahma Viharas or the divine abodes are something that we have a little bit more capacity to feel, to see, to be present with, to generate, and to experience. You know, what is it like to live where metta is something that we are contemplating, where compassion is something that we are focused on? So often in our daily life, we have many, many priorities, but we don't see that kindness, friendliness, and compassion are necessarily our top priorities. And yet, in a context like this, where that's the theme, and then that also can be something we begin to get a feeling for as things just begin to settle, what it is to be able to move in towards that which is uncomfortable, stressful, and then through moving in and softening around it, touch it, and then through touching it, allowing it to transform. So the heart then begins to be filled with the qualities of mind which are noble and wholesome, and that nobility then gives us the capacity to navigate some of the other things that we're dealing with which are more difficult. So this chronic sense of ache or lack or a sense of emptiness or a sense of weariness or a sense of not belonging. When we have more resource, then we have the ability to touch those places inside of ourselves. And as we touch them, we can see that they don't have any inherent nature to themselves. It's not who or what we are. They are conditioned. They come and they go. And then as we can watch that they go, we can see the experience and the joy of what happens when they cease. The stuff that sometimes feels like wallpaper, we can get glimpses of no wallpaper. It's not there. You know, so this kind of socked-in fog of a sense of lack or not okayness can shift, and we can feel quite okay. We can feel quite content, or quite at peace, or quite safe, or quite a sense of belonging. And so, the absence of the negative then gives rise to another kind of contentment, where we recognize that some of these things that have a deep-seated habitual association in the mind are in fact just conditioned. And when we see them as just being conditioned, then in that moment they have less power over us to grab and to condition and to define ourselves by the things that we seem to feel or relate to in such a strong and habitual way. So there's a contentment that comes when we get some leverage with some of this stuff which seems to be like the wallpaper or the white noise that we're having to navigate through years of our life. And just watching it as another condition which comes and goes. And seeing the kind of space that opens up when it begins to fade. When we have a, a glimmer of an opening where we have some sense of, yes, I know what kindness is. You know, I know what compassion is. Joy might be a bit out of my reach, but it's, I can see that it, kindness was out of my reach before, and so I can see that joy would 
maybe not be so far out of my reach in the distant future. So then there becomes a sense of, well, a perspective that the path actually has fruit. And the fruit is the is this sense of ease and well-being that we can experience. And so as we have a somatic experience of ease and well-being, then our body has some memory of what that feels like. So we have some sense of contrast between ease and well-being and stress and uptightness and contraction. And so when we're feeling stressed and uptight and contracted, we can know, well, this is stress. This is contraction. This is uptightness. And it's not always there. It comes and it goes. And then when we can feel the ease and the relaxation and the contentment, you know, we have some basis for knowing what that feels like. You know, what the body feels like, what the breath feels like what it feels like to be able to manage complexity and not feel overwhelmed. Because one has some ground. So, last night we were talking about the different faces of suffering and the different ways or the tools to navigate it. And certainly one of the things that causes stress is change. And yet when we have a resource, when we have a sense of ease and well-being as a kind of resource then when things change, we have some capacity to navigate the the stress that comes as a result. And there's a kind of confidence that arises when we have the ability to navigate the things that arise. And that confidence then supports more ease, more relaxation. And as we have that sense of ease and relaxation, then we're able to do this difficult work of looking at some of the conditioned habits that we have, some of the views and the beliefs that we hold about ourselves, and begin to see what's useful and what's no longer useful. It's kind of like a house cleaning of the heart. And as we look at this house cleaning of the heart, you know, we, we have then the ability to make discernment about well, what stays and what goes, what needs to be recycled and what needs to be burned, and what needs to be buried, and you know, what no longer is useful. So it's not anyone's fault that these things are there but it is each of our responsibility to attend to them in ways which is now responsive and congruent with where we're at right now. So that with this ease and well-being, it gives us some leverage on our whole emotional territory. And in our emotional territory, it gives us some capacity to look at our relationships and to also see where is there room for house cleaning, What are the kind of patterns in our relationships which support ease and well-being and contentment? And what supports dependency or distortion or some kind of wrong view or clinging? And very gradually and very kindly and with a lot of respect, we can begin to move towards that which is wholesome and leave aside that which is no longer wholesome or which is unwholesome. You know, these horses that are down the road and uh, across the street. It was just really delightful for me to meet them the other day and to see their loveliness and their friendliness and to put my hands in their nice thick coats 
to have there. Share breath. It's very sweet to share the breath of a horse. And just to be in the presence of this very, very large being and to feel their friendliness. You know, the, the shared space between us. So there's enormous beauty and pleasure that can be found in the sense world. Make much of and cultivate it. And there's a lot of beauty and pleasure to be found in cultivating a heart which inclines towards goodness, towards that which is noble, towards that which is kind and friendly and compassionate and joyful. But there's another kind of joy that comes when we have a deep understanding about the practice, when we see that all things that arise have in their nature to change. There isn't anything that's inherently lasting or inherently satisfying in anything in the world. I remember when I was on my first trip to Thailand, I went to a monastery that Ajahn Buddhadasa created. And unusual for a forest monastery, he had a whole building that was devoted to art. And the art was expressions of Dhamma, different expressions of the truth portrayed in pictures. And one of the pictures that really caught my attention was this picture of Potai. Potai is the fat-bellied monk that people sometimes think is the fat Buddha, but it's not a Buddha. And Potai has this wonderful expression of joy, and he's lifting his hands up to the sky in kind of celebration. And underneath this picture of this monk, who's obviously completely blissed out is this caption oh what joy to discover there's no happiness in this world (laughs) (laughs) and so when we no longer are trying to seek happiness and stability in that which cannot possibly bring lasting happiness and be stable there's a certain kind of freedom that comes, a kind of peace that comes. And so on the, the other night when I was talking about Deepama and her own personal journey was a journey of just very profound suffering, phenomenal grief, unimaginable really. And yet she came to a point in her life when she realized that the only thing that was going to actually make a difference to her was to understand what the truth of things were. And through clarity and clear seeing and penetration, she transformed from being somebody who was miserable being somebody who was luminous and radiant and deeply joyful because she also saw what joy that there is no happiness in this world 
And through seeing that and knowing that and realizing that, her experience then was one of profound peace. Can you say that again? What joy is no happiness in the world? What joy that there is no happiness in the world. So when we look at things that are beautiful or when we look at friendships that are lovely or when we look at things that grow, it brings a kind of joy and a kind of beauty. But because they change, because they're not reliable, because their nature is that there isn't thing any inherently lasting in them, they cannot bring lasting happiness. And when a person has experienced the joy and the loss of seeing those beautiful things change, when a mother has lost children and a husband, when she knows that no matter how much you love somebody, you can't hold on to them. So for Deepama, what happened for her and her life was is, is that her loss motivated her to practice the Dhamma. And her practicing of the Dhamma allowed her to come into touch with something which was not subject to birth and death. And so it didn't mean that she didn't love her children and her husband, but that she understood something that was beyond birth and death. It's not dependent on the seasons. It's not dependent on whether the heating system is working. It's not dependent on whether our friends are saying the things to us that we need them to say in order to feel like we feel heard or seen or valued or appreciated. It's not dependent on who's the president and what's happening in the politics. It's a deep knowing and seeing that's right here and pervades everything. So Ajahn Chah would say that if you let go a little, you'll have a little bit of peace. And if you let go a lot, you'll have a lot of peace. And if you let go completely, you'll have complete peace. And for me, when I hear that, what it reminds me of is, is, is that when we let go of our unskillful behaviors, we have less remorse, less regret. We have a little bit more sense of safety and a little bit more sense of ease and well-being. That's letting go a little. And when we let go a lot is when we're willing to start doing this difficult work of of navigating our internal territory and starting to get a feeling for what our emotions are, how they're related to things, what our habits are, and start shifting from the negative habits and the negative emotions into learning to relate to them with skill, which neither dismisses them nor believes them. And then learning to generate positive qualities, kindness, self-regard and self-respect of compassion of learning how to touch and meet the suffering of our world and allow it to transform but letting go completely that's a very interesting one to reflect on what does that look like 
Because when we are working with behavior and when we're working with emotions, there still often is a sense of me doing it. I still am located here, and I'm still trying to get there. And there's nothing wrong with that, except when we see there's suffering still attached to that. There's a trace of suffering in locating oneself and identifying with anything, even with the most beautiful, wholesome things that there are to have, like a noble heart or a noble aspiration. Any identification with it then leaves a trace of suffering. And when there's an identification, there's naturally the wanting to protect and defend And in that protection and defense, there's a sense of inside and outside and me and other. And in me and other, there's isolation and separation. So when we start to look at letting go completely, what we're doing is dismantling that I-making, that me-making, that identification process. Not the thing that we're identified with, but the process of identification itself. There was a period of time when I was in um, Toronto and it was quite a challenging time for me for many reasons. But it felt as if I was like a, like a caterpillar in a chrysalis, like a sentient pulp. And there wasn't much that I could locate myself in, you know, in terms of community or belief or you know even there were things about my own body that I couldn't quite grab hold of and say yeah this is it and this is me and this is solid and I know this to be true so there was no place to locate myself and it was deeply unsettling profoundly unsettling And yet there was the intuition and the sensibility as well as the knowledge that there was nothing I could do to prevent this from happening. This is what was happening. That just supported the willingness to engage in that and, and see what happened. And so there's this longing to know, there's a longing to locate oneself, there's a longing to have a map and a territory and to figure out where we are and where we're going and how we're going to get there. You know, to know we're okay, to have a certificate, some sense that it's all going to be all right or that we're okay, that we're right on the right path and things are going fine. And yet, the ability to tolerate not knowing the ability to allow it to become diffuse and formless, the ground to be able to tolerate that which is groundless, then allows this transformation to take place where it's no longer me doing it, no longer me doing my meditation practice, to arrive there. But just practice. Just what's arising. Just the present moment. 
just what's needed, just now, just now, just now. And in just being present in the present moment with just what is arising now, there isn't identification with any of it. It comes, it is known, it is seen, and it goes. Without any identification, there is no suffering. When there is complete letting go, there is complete peace. And when we look at the kinds of joy that we can experience, at the beauty of the world, or the delight of generosity, or how lovely it is to have no regrets because one's behavior is living with an integrity that's worthy of respect. When we look at the heart of generosity and we look at the kind of quality of kindness and welcome, when we look at what it is to be present with the quivering of suffering in oneself and others and see it transform, nothing compares to this peace of letting go to that joy of knowing oh what joy to know that there is no happiness in this world it is not to be found in the world of things of having of doing of getting of getting rid of it's to be found in knowing in letting go in being and in realizing the love that's the other side of mindfulness that's all pervasive and present everywhere and that joy is not dependent on anything so I hope this evening on New Year's Eve that we have an opportunity to spend time contemplating our aspirations and have a time to consider our year, what it has meant for us, the fruits and the joys of our practice, to consider the, the things in our lives that make it difficult for us to realize our aspiration, obscure it, things that we need to let go of, the things that we could develop to support us. I can't tell you what your aspiration should be or is. I just know that this joy that comes from the joy of complete letting go is a kind of joy that's incomparable in this world. And my wish would be that everybody realizes something that is their innate nature to know. So I'll end this here. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.